and welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Sherry Givens, who's the president and CEO, fairly newly installed since November, of SEPA, also known as the Smart Electric Power Lines. Hi, Sherry. How are you? Hey, Marty. I'm doing great. Thank you for the invitation today. Great. And there's a lot to talk about. First, let's talk about the evolution of SEPA and where it is today. You've started about three decades ago to promote solar power and now have evolved into a much broader kind of alliance. Yeah, SEPA started about 30 years ago and really kind of kicked off 20 years ago underneath um, my predecessor's leadership, Julia Hamm. She was the prior president and CEO. Um, over time, the organization did evolve from solar electric to smart power, smart electric power alliance. That was about the 2015-2016 timeframe. Um, what we saw was our membership, which is comprised of over 1,100 members, inclusive of utilities and corporations, were really looking at all different options to help them get to their carbon-free energy transition. So to do that, we wanted to make sure we addressed all the tools in the toolbox in addition to solar. So that way we can look at grid modernization, electrification, decarbonization, and anything that our members are really interested in. So that's what really um, it was involved in the transition and the expansion of our mission. So let's talk about your background for a second. You've worked both sides of the fence, actually multiple sides of the fence. You've been on the utility side, you've been on the national grid for four years, and you've been on the consumer side, five years working for the public council in Texas. Talk about how all that has equipped you and uh, qualified you for this job at this time. Actually, I can go back further than that. In 2003, I was a senior attorney with the Public Utility Commission of Texas. So I worked for the regulator, the consumer advocate. I hung out my own shingle as a uh, consultant for a number of years, working for the alphabet soup of all the major trade associations, EEI, AGA, NRECA, APPA as well. Um, and then finally, as you mentioned, working for an investor-owned utility. So I think it brings me a unique perspective to SEPA, having someone that's been in the industry for 20-plus years and worked all sides of it. I can bring, of course, the consumer voice um, and also the regulator voice and some insights from the utility and just the broader consulting um, background that I bring to this, this job. So I'm excited to be with SEPA. Uh, it's been an incredible four plus months and I'm looking forward to many years to come. So let's talk about your role as a consumer advocate for a second. You've been on the utility side and you've done a variety of things, but as you deal with the transition to the new grid, there's a lot of costs involved. You also have been focused quite heavily recently on the whole question of customer equity. A lot is being done and remains to be done to transform the grid, and that's going to involve a lot of costs. So how do we protect the most vulnerable people who are challenged economically to deal with rising costs? How do we pay for the electrification of transportation, which is going to be quite expensive? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I can trace it back to when I was a consumer advocate in Texas. One of the things that I really enjoyed was getting in my truck and driving across the state and actually talking to consumers and listening to them, really trying to understand their walk of life, what was important to them, how, and trying to educate them on how they could save money in the retail um, market and visiting with them um, on a one-to-one basis, going over their bills, talking to them about customer choice, talking to them about um, ways that they could save money money, um, that they could utilize that money for, you know, their home needs or their children's needs or their family needs, whether they were trying to make a choice between buying groceries or buying the medications that they needed and the energy that they needed for their home. So I bring that insight. And I'm really proud of the work that our organization has done, SEPA, over the past several years, focused on equity. One of the big initiatives that we did just last year was focused on transportation electrification and equity. Um, We found that it was really important to, again, meet people where they are, to go into those communities. We worked with eight utilities over 10 states. Um, We also worked with 50 customer-based organizations and individuals, really trying to understand what their needs were and how utilities and companies that were trying to achieve their clean energy ambitions through transportation electrification could actually meet the customers where they were. What we found was a lot of customers are concerned about affordability. Um, With rising inflation and all the other costs that come along with that, they were trying to figure out how are we going to pay for our bills, much less pay for an electric vehicle if that's what's going to be required of us. They were also, you know, a little distrustful of the utilities. Um, We found that it was better for the utilities to partner with uh, strategic partners across the community, whether that was a school or a hospital or another organization that was known and trusted um, in those communities to have those conversations. Uh, Customers didn't want to be overburdened by additional meetings um, and and not see actions being taken by the utility. Um, A lot of customers were also uh, wanting to make sure that the language spoken in those meetings and that the takeaways given in those meetings were in their native language. So there's a lot of things that we learned. Can I ask a question? Yes. Those eight utilities in 10 states that you worked with, give us a story or an insight as to how one or two of them are uniquely taking on the electrification of transportation and meeting customer needs, particularly those that can't afford to pay for rising costs. Yeah, so we have the report. It's on our website, and it gives an overview of the different practices and lessons learned that those utilities had as takeaways. It also sets up a framework for other utilities across the nation to take to really have those metrics and standards in place to understand how they can achieve the same goals as those utilities that participated in our study and our report. So something as simple as, say, people living in apartment houses, not having access to charging stations, are there plans for addressing their needs and how utilities can help them join the transformation? Well, actually, here in the Northeast, there are pole-mounted utilities, uh, electric charging vehicle infrastructure in areas where there is not access to a garage or to a parking lot that might have electric vehicle infrastructure. So there are certainly utilities that are being progressive in this area, trying to, again, address equity concerns, trying to reach those disadvantaged and LMI communities that really will need that infrastructure going forward and might not have that access in their home. When we talk about equity... Is there a component of education here where you're needing to teach people that have not thought about energy and have very hectic lives to live? How do we show them a new way that it is in their interest to support the transformation of the electric infrastructure? 
Absolutely. So a lot of times I hear when I'm out in the field talking to folks is customers don't really care about energy. All they care about is they flip the switch, the lights come on, they turn the heater on, the heat comes on in their home, but that's not correct. What I found was when I was a consumer advocate and even working for the investor-owned utility was when you actually go out into the community and talk to individuals and talk to community-based organizations about the different impacts that their choices make, it matters. When we talk to them about how they can save money, whether it's through energy efficiency or weatherization, when you share with them programs that can help them with discounts on their monthly bill or ways that they can sign up their you know, senior citizen neighbor or ailing parent for critical care um, information, I find that they really are interested. It's we have to take the time. We have to be intentional. We have to go out into those communities and have those conversations early and often. So the next topic I want to talk about is increased renewables, how it's making greater and greater penetration as utilities back off coal-fired generation and even natural gas generation. Talk about how customer equity meets this transformation and how customers are being asked to shoulder their share of the costs and what's being done by utilities and others to bring along a diverse population that may not have focused on this transformation and all the requirements it entails. Sure. So we just completed what we call our utility transformation profile, and it was directed at several core areas of what utilities are currently doing. We had 118 of our members participate, which represent about 80% of U.S. customers, electric customers nationwide. So when they're thinking about um, planning and infrastructure investments, equity is not always front and center. So of those participants, a small percentage is actually including equity in their planning processes. I think that's going to increase over over time, I think by having those conversations with our members, by going out and speaking to regulators, consumer advocates, and community-based organizations to just share with them the opportunities that equity and planning and investment, especially investment in infrastructure can entail, will be really helpful going forward. So there's certainly the utilities are thinking about it. They're progressing it. They have a lot of ESG goals that they're looking at, um, and they're trying to think about how to be more transparent in what they're providing for their customers customers and their communities. Sherry, as we move from equity to the future of renewables, how are utilities devising their plans for increased deployment of renewables to bring along their entire customer base and be engaged in the process? Yeah, I would say that three-fourths of U.S. electric customers that are served by utility currently have a 100% carbon reduction target, which is good news. Um, we're mostly there. Um, it's great that they have those targets in place. And one of the things that SEPA does is they actually track those carbon reduction targets, uh, both at the state level and the utility level. We have that available as public information that's, that's free for folks to go and check out on our website. So the utilities are making the commitments. They are stating their ambitions. Um, when we did our utility transformation profile, which was just released last month, we uh, established a leaderboard of utilities that were really making significant strides towards meeting some of those targets. Um, those that were making the most significant strides actually had 
uh, interim target set, meaning that they weren't just saying we're going to commit to 100% by 2050. They had 2025, 2030, 2035 guidelines and, and, and ambitions that they were targeting. They also looked at scope one, two, and three emissions, scope one being their direct emissions and scope two and three being indirect emissions. Uh, scope three one, it's a tough one. It's whatever um, the customer actually uh, has as an indirect emission based on the products that they're purchasing from those utilities. And they're also using some third-party verifications on their emissions reductions, uh, most notably the Science-Based Targets Initiative, SBTI. Um, a number of the utilities are thinking about how they can actually be more transparent in their planning and targeting of their emissions reductions. So I'm cautiously optimistic that they have made the commitments and that our organization is working with both of our uh, utility members and our corporate members, our regulators, our consumer advocates, and other stakeholders to really think through the actionable solutions that will help them get there to their carbon-free targets. So, Sherry, it, it seems like a very complicated moving picture here because we have the national targets where we have the president saying, he wants to be carbon-free by 2050. Um, and then you have states and utilities with their own plans. How is the public supposed to make sense of all this? What What is the most important target in your mind? And how close are we to achieving those? I think the most important target is to actually get to a carbon-free energy system overall. I think as customers, we should probably be looking to our local utilities, whether that's an investor-owned utility, a municipal utility, or a public power utility, really trying to understand the commitments that they've made to their customers and their communities through their infrastructure investments and their renewable energy targets. I think that's number one. I think from a federal level, it's, it's great to see the federal government stepping up and leaning in to the 2050 as being the goal for carbon-free, but I think it's even more exciting to see the states and the local utilities doing their part and trying to achieve it at a faster pace and at a greater scale. So as these policies are enacted, and of course we've had the, the most recent uh, example of the Inflation Reduction Act, where there's going to be significant federal funds flowing to building up the system, improving transmission, getting EV charging stations deployed. Um, is enough being done, do you think, on a national level, or are there a couple of things you'd like to see thrown into the mix? Well, I mean, I think it's exciting to see a tr $1 trillion in investments coming from the bipartisan infrastructure law and the IRA collectively. Um, and looking and listening to our many members and regulators who are involved in accessing those funds, I, I think it's an exciting time for clean energy investment and investment in infrastructure. Um, whether or not enough's being done, time will tell. I know it takes a while to ramp up such large targeted investment. I know that a lot of the utilities and, and the stakeholders are waiting for clear guidance from the federal government. It's coming. But just like the utilities and, you know, the corporations, they too have probably some resource constraints, uh, making sure that they have folks that can actually be there and help them um, set up these plans and, and get the investment into the communities as quickly as possible. But I remain optimistic that good things are happening at the federal, state, and local level. Optimism is good, but there's also a lot of concerns and hiccups along the way. And uh, our two most recent podcasts right in front of yours were with PJM and with Audrey Zibelman, who is the architect of New York Rev. Uh, PJM says 80% of the transmission they need is out there. 
um, in reference to some reports recently that the main bottleneck is a lack of transmission. Audrey would like to see a national electric digital spine created for the grid to enable weaving together more artfully all the diverse resources that are coming in. Uh, how do you assess the current moment, what kind of roadblocks we face, and what ways to address them? Well, I mean, I think transmission is certainly an issue that, you know, we're seeing nationally, but it's also being seen globally. Um, I'll say that, you know, SEPA just took a fact-finding mission to Australia in November, and, and one of the sounding rallying cries from stakeholders, governmental entities, and the utilities themselves is that there's not going to be any clean energy transition without transmission. Um, here in the Northeast where I live, I mean, we're seeing a lot of backlash and nimbyism um, that's blocking uh, transmission that's going to bring clean hydro from from Canada to the New England states. So I know that transmission is certainly a concern, getting it built out. Uh, there's a lot of talk about you know, large-scale renewables, most notably offshore wind, being built along the coastlines of the U.S. And how are we going to get that transmission in place as well? So, you know, I, I hear and I see all the concerns and uh, the challenges that are being raised by the interconnection issues and the transmission issues. But, you know, I know folks are working towards it and trying to come up with equitable solutions that will help us achieve our goals. So I understand SEEP is leading a team to Denmark in the near future. And you may have heard, or if you haven't, you may want to look into, they're creating two energy islands to act as offshore hubs for wind that they could push around all of Europe as well as into Denmark. Do we need that kind of innovation here and what's keeping it from happening? That was a great podcast, Marty. I actually listened to that yesterday. So I really appreciate that. I was going to send that around to my team and to the folks that are going to be traveling with us to Denmark in June. <laughs> I think any innovation is open for discussion. I don't want to take any tools out of the toolbox. You know, I want to make sure that we have every opportunity we can to look at how we're going to get to this transition. I think we have a lot of the technologies already in place that are going to enable the majority of the transition to happen, but there's a lot of great ideas that are coming from DOE and the labs. There's a lot of great ideas that are coming from utilities and corporate members. So, you know, I just want to make sure that we're open uh, to innovation and and open to creative uh, ways to get to the transition. I guess the one challenge that I see is from a regulatory perspective is sometimes innovation can be stymied by the the regulatory process. Um, a lot of times, you know, commissions, the framework of them was, you know, set 100 years ago, and it's, it's just to allow for used and useful um, applications within, you know, the building of the infrastructure for the electric transmission and distribution system. There's going to need to be some openness and some agility and some flexibility to allow for utilities and, and third parties and, and other entities to come in and to make, you know, some of these innovative uh, solutions available to customers nationally. So we're talking about transmission. What about storage? There's a lot of energy storage uh, in the wings. Um, if you've listened to our podcast, we have one with Don Sadaway at MIT about all the new battery technologies that are coming in and how a lot of the battery technology we are relying on was from the early 1990s and ripe to be replaced. How do you see the whole storage question evolving and, and what role is SEPA playing in that? Yeah, so storage has actually been a really good conversation that we're having at some of our national conferences. As you probably know, um, SEPA, 
co-owns along with SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association, a conference called RE+. Um, we have a major conference in September of every year, and then we have eight regional conferences. And one of the prime discussions that we're having during our educational component is energy storage. How will we get it to scale? How will we make sure that it is equitable? How will we make sure that it's affordable? So the conversations are happening, you know, what, when and how it will get there, I don't know. But I know that we will get there. You talk about the needs for fresh thinking at the regular state regulatory level. What about at the utility level with, as you've pointed out earlier, your alliance, including utilities that touch 80% of US customers, How fast are utilities moving, in your opinion, in your candid opinion, to embrace new business models where what has governed them for a century of building large baseload plants might not be working in the next coming decade in the future? I think utilities are really trying to be innovative uh, with new business models and new approaches. Uh, when when I was uh, working with the utility, I actually participated on a task force that SEPA had organized around utility business models. It was called the Renovate Initiative. And it was really thinking through how could utilities work with commissioners, consumer advocates, and corporate members um, it brought everybody to the table to talk about, you know, what were the different opportunities there? How could we incentivize innovation? Some of those conversations focused on performance-based rate making. Some of it um, really focused on performance incentives and other ways to allow utilities to invest in different innovation and solutions that, you know, we typically utilities were not allowed to invest in before. So I think the utilities can't do it alone. They're going to have to definitely work with their regulators and their consumer advocates and other stakeholders to ensure that you know no customer gets left behind in the clean energy transition and to also ensure that rates remain affordable for customers for years to come. Let me just ask you, uh, philosophically, utilities evolved because it didn't make sense to have multiple large business entities duplicating facilities and cities that I'm talking about over a century ago. Does it make sense to have monopolies in the form that they served a century ago still continue or do we need a new model for how we get energy delivered? It's a great question, Marty, and it's not one that I've given a lot of thought to. I mean, I've operated in this industry for 20 years. Um, I see a lot of the utilities, even if they're, you know, investor-owned utilities vertically integrated or restructured, they are still trying to find innovative ways to meet their customers' needs. And customers' needs and demands are evolving over time. I mean, folks really want to have more options from their utility. So, you know, I see utilities really trying to step in and lean in to those requests and those asks and those demands from their customers. Customers. So, to me, it's it's working. Um, whether or not new models will evolve over time, I mean, we've all read the news. There are certainly actors who are stepping into the space and making a play for it. But I think right now the utilities are doing what they can to meet their customers' needs and expectations. Last question I'd like to ask you, Sherry, is uh, as you step back after four months, if you can, if you haven't been so immersed in the details of taking on your assignment, and think about the information ecosystem now serving diverse players in this rapidly changing dynamic space. Are our utility members, our regulators, our policymakers getting the information they need um, from the panoply of conferences and editorial products out there? Or do you see the need of, of growing SEPA and possibly other institutions in new ways to serve what, what information needs 
uh, folks will need to proceed and build this community. Yeah, I think it's time for everyone to step up and do their part to educate consumers across the nation. Um, utilities are, are doing part of it. They can't do it all. They recognize that. Um, when I worked with the Utility Commission, we did a lot of personal outreach, you know, going to community-based organizations, going and having town hall meetings that were, you know, broadcast in both English and Spanish. We really need to find a way to meet customers where they are, and it's going to require new partnerships. It's going to require, you know, additional nonprofits in the space. Um, it's going to require you know, environmental justice advocates, grassroots advocates, any kind of state agency that touches on energy, whether it's the state energy office or the regulatory commission, the consumer advocates. I think there's an opportunity really to, again, bridge the gap, bring everyone to the table. And, and that's what I really like about SEPA. You know, that's what we do. We're not just utilities. We're investor in utilities, co-ops, and public power and corporate members that are also progressing in clean energy transition and state and federal agencies and nonprofits. So we're one of the few organizations that are focused on the broader table and bringing everyone together. So I think organizations like ours really can help, you know, fill the gap of information and really expand education for consumers so they understand the journey that we're trying to take as a nation. Great. Thank you, Shuri. Thank you for joining with us. Thank you, Marty. We're going to check in with you again after you've got some more time under your belt. Sounds great. And thanks to listening to Grid Talk. You can send us your feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrl.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For more information about the series or to subscribe, visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.